it's a feature of scale. The SRE is saying, how do I maintain this user experience? How do I keep everything running? How do I let all of the changes happen in a controlled way such that nothing ever quite breaks? Or if it does break, we can catch it without it being a problem. And it, it just turns out it's a, it's its own discipline and, and its own its own art. Welcome back to another episode of Making of the SRE Omelette podcast, where we talk to experts on the recipe leading to SRE success. Today's episode takes us to the origin of SRE, Google, and you're in for a treat. With us is the host of Google's SRE podcast. I'm sorry. Podcast, <laughs> MP English. Welcome to the show, MP. Hi, Kevin. MP, can you start off by sharing with us your role at Google? I would say I am what you would think of as the typical, like in the trenches SRE at Google. I've been at Google for five years, and I am on the Play Infrastructure SRE team. Uh, so we support the whole slew of binaries that create the Google Play Store experience, um, mostly for Android phones. So that has a lot of different moving parts, and it's actually a fairly challenging service to be an SRE for, because there's always a lot going on, and we interact with a lot of different shared services at Google and are built on a lot of different technologies that exist at Google. So it's a real jack of all trades type of SRE experience. That that sounds exciting. I, I guess every on-call is a great learning opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much so. <laughs> so. So MP, let's get right to it. We all heard and read of Google's definition of SRE. That is, SRE is what you get when you treat operations as if it's a software problem. <laughs> But how would you describe what SRE is at Google in your own words? I would really say that it's a feature of scale. When you have smaller systems, you, you can have that typical systems administrator role. But then when you get to things like these globally distributed systems, you get to the scale that there are these emergent phenomena that you can't necessarily predict and you have to be prepared to on the spot reason about how the system is behaving. And it turns out that all of that and, and just running a production system, how do you safely make updates to something while the users don't know it's happening? How do you resolve this? You really need to be able to go um, an extra layer because you can't just think I am going to do this to the system and it will have this effect. You need to also think about all the knock-on effects of anything you do. And at a certain point, the systems are so complicated that being the, the people that build the applications, the software engineers, and the people that like run the applications, the SREs, actually end up basically be having entirely different skill sets. Yes, we both speak this language of code, and that's really like the shared language between SRE and software engineering. But it's the disciplines are very different. One is one is focused on how do I build this application that does a specific thing? How do I get this next new feature out? How do I build this user experience? The SRE is saying, 
how do I maintain this user experience? How do I keep everything running? How do I let all of the changes happen in a controlled way such that nothing ever quite breaks or if it does break, we can catch it without it being a problem. And it, it just turns out it's a, it's its own discipline and, and its, own, its own art. I love it. The art of SRE. Developers and SREs have specializations. Developers may have built the light bulb, but it is our SRE's job to keep the lights running. Mm -hmm. They build the light bulb. We figure out how to change the light bulb with the while, while the light bulb is still on. <laughs> that that's a great capture. And and how would you say SRE has evolved over time in Google from problem it was solving to how the team is organized? Uh, I would say the biggest. There, there, are, there are two big trends that I would say I have seen. One is moving towards less direct touch to production, getting humans out of production as a theme. And that actually really ties in really well with blameless postmortem culture because you're trying to drive more and more towards a state where if a human does something and it breaks something, that means the systems in place that allowed the human to do that are wrong or aren't where they should be. And it's trying to systematize interactions with production and make things more automated and lower risk and less likely to cause unintended outages actuating on production. And kind of in a parallel trend that these, these really actually synergize with each other is more movement towards shared solutions. I really like that. Actually, in fact, when I do our postmortems in IBM, one of the root causes I, I encourage us to eliminate is that human was a cause of the problem. And I like how you captured it. If a human mistake led to a, a failure or a disruption, it is a system place that is to be corrected and improved. I do think it's interesting that there is this little bit of a catch-22 where sometimes what's, what's interesting with some of the automation is sometimes it, it will occasionally say, I need a human to confirm this. So it kind of actually has like this feedback loop of the human makes the change and then it go the, the system goes and attempts to do it and is like, hold up. Do you really want to do this? <laughs> and, and it makes a, a human come in and say, yes, actually, this yeah. is it, it. But it makes very clear. It, it's really this opportunity to really scrutinize what you're doing and make sure it's really you're really, really sure it's what you want, the change you actually want to be making because the system has detected it is highly it it has the potential to be extremely risky and it cannot determine how risky it is i think that goes back to ai is great at coming up with those insights and things that's very objective but humans are still best to make that kind of judgment call right? i actually have no idea how it does it i just respond to the tickets where it tells me i <laughs> <laughs> you called it right we humans don't need to know in that moment in time but the ai was able to give us the safeguard of a potentially harmful decision, likely learn from some previous disruptions. Uh, actually, in fact, one of my previous guests, Jerry Kumo, who is IBM CTO of automation, 
gave me an analogy. The context here is I'm Canadian, so hockey is important to me. <laughs> he said, "Would it be great if AI was able to say, Kevin, if you check in this code, you can say goodbye to the hockey game you wanted to go tonight because it is going causing outage." <laughs> But that's actually the thing is you should be able to. Submit bad changes and not have them be catastrophic because there should be enough rigor in place that from the time it actually is having multiple environments, so that there's a long stage before you submit something and it might, it'll it'll actually have to go through many iterations before it actually makes it to production. So there's a lot of like I think that's one of the other like roles of SRE and one at, at Google in particular is. Making sure there is opportunity for safe failure. I love that. Yeah, that's it's it's canary like canary part of the yeah. part canarying part of that's that's I think would probably be one of the biggest tools in the SRE's toolbox is how do I canary this change? How do I make sure that I am not just throwing this change at production and hoping that it works? Because one of the SRE, I think it's the motto is hope is not a strategy. Right, another great example of the SRE mindset on how to mitigate damage by leveraging observability in the CI/CD pipeline, so we can quickly know when something negatively impacts the SLO, and can I release to further contain and mitigate the damage. And I guess MP, you may have alluded to before. How would you measure success of SRE or return on investment? Of the time effort spent in SRE in Google, sometimes that can be a little hard to quantify. A simpler example,、um, and then you can you can kind of expand this out to some of the the value of of SRE. You can go and invest time in building a bunch of monitoring for something because you've noticed that you you don't necessarily have a lot of insight into it. So you go and do all this telemetry. And you set up all this alerting, and you will never know the value of that until an outage happens. So it could be like a year or two years before that alerting that was put in place actually pays off. It's hard to see the value of the outages that don't happen. Right, fires that prevent it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this. There's this. Constant invisible return from SRE because it's all of the things that we don't see that don't happen. But then there's also much more concrete things that we can do. Like we have a fundamental role in resource management. That is one of the the core parts of SRE is making sure your services have appropriate capacity. And we exist in a real world and. There are actual physical machines somewhere, and those things, those details matter on some level. And like we're abstracted from them in my team, we have some abstraction from the the physical machines by quite a distance. But sometimes we look at the system and we say, "How can we use less machines?" And that's something that we can like turn around and immediately that like that has immediate financial implications. Because those machines then become available for other things, they're not things that were resources that we're using up、um, as play. So those things can actually you can go and have a project and be like, 
we did this project and we saved 20,000 cores. Just a random number. <laughs> or you can go and like maybe you identify something that you're experiencing latency spikes and this particular call on this server is in the critical path of this user experience and you go and drive an effort to get that latency down. And then you go and you have some metrics on the user experience and then you can turn around and show that that, that latency improvement increased engagement. That, that's often where you also see a lot of collaboration between developers and SRE is how do we make the, the system more resilient? How do we make the system more performant? I think that's a great capture. At the end of the day, we're here to run a business. The easy way maybe, hey, I'll give you this service um, as much compute resource as it needs. But like you said, everything, there's a cost. So you want to give it just enough so we keep the users happy. It's compelling, yet not, not burning a hole in our cost. Like there's a lot of variables you can play with. Like what is your data freshness? What is your, what is, how reliable does this actually need to be? Not, not all traffic is created equally. And if you can somehow do something that you can only provide the reliability that you need for the most important traffic and give have less important traffic be less reliable, you can save money there. Like reliability engineering can be can go both ways. It can be like calculated decisions to make something less reliable because of the the cost-benefit analysis. Right, and this leads to the importance of defining the SLO and the error budget and use that to inform the decision of provisioning the compute power. Yeah, not not everything needs to be some, like, you, you don't need to run all your systems at like N plus four. <laughs> I don't even know if anyone does that. Um, right, and, and I mean, obviously we have some solutions where customers want to feedback in terms of retail order management instantaneously almost mean milliseconds and you have services where it's a reporting mm -hmm. you know what i it doesn't have to be current current to me is a matter of days or weeks right so that's where you can make your choice yeah. Mm -hmm. and yeah so you, you like the option of like well does this need to be online can you do an offline process here that doesn't hit right production or like that's not hitting the same production that users are interacting right. with exactly and the other thing I'm really glad you mentioned is I find often it's easy to recognize an award people who put out a fire because it's very visible. Oh my God, this fire came off. Someone came in and was a hero that put it out. I mean, all the executive leadership know about it, customer know about it. But like I said, uh, there's a lot of the, if we do SRE right, there will never be a fire. <laughs> uh, so, so how do we go and recognize people who and the teams that spend the effort to put in the resiliency work so that we never had a disruption? It's 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 the the almost fires, and the non fires <laughs> that are that are hard to count. Yeah. Do Do you have a insight on how Google award and recognize people who prevented the fires? Uh, so there's a, there's a few different internal methods of recognition. You, the most common ones are uh, peer bonuses and kudos. So the, the peer bonus comes from a, everyone has so many they can uh -oh, give okay. out. And they 
are a way for you to recognize your coworkers for something that they did that you thought they went above and beyond and like really came through. You actually see that a lot when people jump in to help from an outage. Mm, right. They get they get a recognition from often the on caller. Other times it will be like the developers um, of the service that the the on call the normal on caller jumped in and really helped things out, and then like they'll get recognition back from from the developer team um, that they interacted with during the outage, and. And kudos are just a, a, a lighter, a lighter weight form of that. Yeah, that's great. Uh, that that's cool. Actually, I've been having something similar. We we call the blue points where you can internally use that to redeem for merchandise mm-hmm. and whatnot. And, and I think that that's a great culture to have. I, I always say, it's always a team effort, and and we are the outcome of our network and the team that helped us get there. So it's great to have the culture to recognize people who helped us. And I do think that's one of the most important skills uh, as as being an SRE at Google, actually, hmm. is learning how and when to lean on your teammates. Ah, right. Because the systems typically are just far too complicated for any one human to really ever grok how they work. We always have partial, incomplete, inaccurate knowledge of how some subset of the system works, kind of. And it's not even like that picture is wrong. Like we just, you know that the mental model you have of how the system (laughs) works is always wrong, but it's accurate enough that you can make reasonable intuitions. But then there are so many different components and subsystems and shared services that we interact with that you really just can't be an expert on all of them. So folks tend to find a niche on their team. And I run into a problem with a particular subsystem that I'm not as familiar with. I know who on my team I can go to and ask for help. And that willingness to ask for help is really one of the most important skills i think for sres to have that that is a that is a great capture and i definitely agree with that and system only got more complex over time with introduction of hybrid cloud and now they may actually be in different data centers and different cloud altogether right mm-hmm. so I, I think that's a great leading mp into one of the intent and outcome of this podcast is really build this wonderful sre community i mean we're here IBM and Google are talking to each other about SRE. <laughs> uh, and also tech vitality. Do you have any words of wisdom for audiences who may be experienced professionals or ones that are just entering the job market if they're interested in the SRE profession? Uh, so like I could give a, a pretty canonical answer here that skills at the intersection of software engineering and systems engineering troubleshooting, numerical literacy, uh, systems engineering. But I think what matters more is really having a passion for kind of an uncontrollable desire to understand how things work. Because that's what we're, we're constantly trying to, to understand how our systems behave. 
and our knowledge is always imperfect. You're always going through that continual process, as I, as I was saying, of trying to have an understanding of the system. And the best way to do that is is get people from different backgrounds um, together in one place. So I also would definitely encourage people who are not necessarily uh, really programming focused to look at something like SRE because I, I actually come from a very odd background in terms of how I ended up as an SRE. Uh, and that, like I originally went to school for astrophysics, but it turns out that when you spend a few years solving problems about large systems with absurdly incomprehensibly large numbers, you get really good at grokking systems with absurdly large, uh, incomprehensible numbers. Like, does anyone really understand what it means to look at a service and be like, ah, it is receiving 40 million queries per second. That is an unfathomably large number. It actually probably would be interesting to think about that in Hertz. <laughs> so million, so it'd be mega. So like 40 megahertz. But that's still, uh, on human scales, that's pretty fast and, and pretty incomprehensible to us. So it's, it's really important to be comfortable with that, that unknown and not trying to learn at all. Finding a niche, finding the thing that you really enjoy in all of the, this mess of the systems one of the niches like I have personally fallen into because of my background has been monitoring and alerting because of I have a very strong data analysis background and signal processing background. So that's somewhere where I've been able to take the skills that I had from outside the SRE world and bring them into SRE uh, and getting more and more people. So it's good to have someone who maybe has front end experience and someone else who has back end experience and someone else who has database experience and someone else who was a systems administrator and, and you, you, someone who was a network administrator, because you, you need kind of all of the skills together. There's not really any one track to SRE. You can really find the chunk of it. You really like, what, what you really, what really gets you and you can, you can follow that. And I think that alluded to your previous comment about always looking to see how others can help feel like, don't feel like you have to solve everything yourself. And it really get to, to be able to do that. You yourself should establish what you're good at. What will people know you as SNE that they can in turn turn to for help? Yeah. The phrase that comes up a lot is subject matter expert. And there are Correct. lots of different subjects and lots of different degrees of expertise. <laughs> there are, right. particularly when you start looking at some of the bigger shared services, it's really important to have someone on your team that has a really good knowledge about that service because there's only so many SREs that are supporting it for all of Google internally and if you have more the more expertise you have locally the less you you have to lean off escalate to another team which is more time it it's, it takes it takes longer it can delay your your time to restoration hmm. it's not always worth 
no having super detailed knowledge of every subsystem you interact with because some aren't very prone to causing outages and don't they don't come up a lot but when when something comes up again and again it's really good to develop that local expertise and i think that's also something that i would encourage someone earlier in their career is identify a niche that you are personally interested in mm-hmm. like personally interested right. like i monitor the monitoring and alerting stuff i do i genuinely enjoy you're that passionate you, you enjoy waking up to do that <laughs> yeah, yeah. if yeah. someone comes to me with like a hey i want to have monitoring around this sort of thing how can i do that those are conversations i genuinely enjoy having right right and, and if you're passionate you enjoy you will naturally learn more and be good at it yeah I have gone into extreme amounts of depth of how monitor how our monitoring system works and how to write better, mon- more efficient monitoring queries that use less resources and advanced troubleshooting of the monitoring systems when things aren't quite working right, when there's something wrong with your monitoring configuration. Those are things that usually people reach out to me for help with because that's that's where I've developed my expertise. That's a great capture of your expertise and your hill. And I think MP, you touched on a little bit. In closing, I always like to go back to the inspiration for this podcast. That is, what do you think is the ingredient and recipe for companies to succeed in driving that SRE mindset? Ooh. (laughs) And I think the ingredient that I heard earlier was around diversity. Diversity is a big one, Mm -hmm. but I think there's, you have to, diversity alone isn't enough. You need to also have a certain ingrained cultural tendency towards not accepting how things are and looking for how things should be. Ah. Um, And that's actually, I think, oftentimes one of the most vital things that having newer team members and diversity diversity of experience actually it may be as one of the potentially underrated aspects mm-hmm. is bringing in people who are green right. and that you can grow into strong SREs they're going to be the ones to ask why do we do it this way and then you're going to have to sit there and try to come up with an answer and then when you can't think of a good one now you have a new problem to solve. <laughs> right. So that's that's actually one of because you do you do get entrenched in a certain thinking of that's just the way things are sometimes, and it and it can be hard. Even though we we know we're not supposed to do that, our brains kind of naturally do that, and that's actually probably one of the big strengths of Google is getting to move across teams during your career. Because then you go to a different team and you see they're doing things, same technologies or similar technology, like mostly the same technologies, same ideas, but all of these things are slightly different. And it's like, well, why is this this way? Why is this? And the constant move of people across teams mm-hmm. within Google makes, spreads the knowledge of different ways of doing things in a way that like helps the health of all of the teams. Right. So yeah, I would I would say diversity and a willingness to to challenge the the status quo. Personally, I had the opportunity to go to different teams, different business units, 
wore different hat, and yeah, I definitely learned to appreciate the different perspective of that people had. So when I see a problem, if I wore wear a different hat, I would look to solve it differently, right? No, I, I really like that. No, I think that that's a great capture. So thank you so much, MP, for taking us to gain a wonderful insights into SRE at Google. Great to be on here with you, Kevin. Thanks, MP. And as a reminder to all the listeners, please also check out Google's SRE podcast hosted by MP. You can find it by searching for Google SRE podcast. See you again on an upcoming episode.